Hello and welcome to Laid Back Lush, a little podcast where we talk about wine, beer, and spirits. I'm Michael, a former wine sales associate as well as vineyard worker. And I am Gabe. I am WSCT Level 3 certified in wine, and I am an administrator for a wine and spirits educating body. And today we would like to clear up a little bit of confusion for those of you who may be new to the topic or who are unfamiliar with something that uh, does actually seem to trip a lot of people up. And that is the difference between liqueur and liquor. Yes. Uh, liqueur being spelled L-I-Q-U-E-U-R versus liquor, L-I-Q-U-O-R. These are entirely different products. They are related to each other, which is probably one of the reasons why there is so much confusion around this. One of their primary similarities being alcohol percentage. But there are some stark differences, and we would like to get into those today so that you are equipped. Yes, as well as give you guys some of the uh, notable liqueurs out there that Absolutely. are kind of considered to be uh, pantry staples, I guess, for the cocktail savvy. 100%. So first, the main difference is going to be in sweetness. That's mm -hmm. just the main difference. But let's go ahead and let's say, what is liquor? So liquor is just any distilled alcohol that's typically going to be made from either grains or other plants, so fruits, vegetables, or even sugar. They go through initial fermentation, and then they are distilled to at least 20% ABV, but they do range between 37.5 and 55% ABV, depending on the liquor or style. Generally, the accepted distilled spirits, there are only going to be six of those, brandy, gin, rum, tequila, vodka, and whiskey. And these are typically used as the base of cocktails or they're had on their own. They are judged for their quality if they are meant to be had on their own, typically, um, especially whiskey, scotch, tequila, mezcal, um, that sort of thing. They may be flavored, but this is not the same as liquor. So typically, if these are flavored, they're going to be like gin, where you have juniper berries placed inside of them and some other ingredients, so that it's giving uh, general notes, general flavor, but not necessarily sweetness. Yeah, and th there is crossover with the methods of liqueurs and like gin, for example, but uh, often with liquors the flavoring is going to come from either an infusion of the mash itself, which is being distilled, or some kind of apparatus that the distillate vapors are being put through to add the flavoring. Mm. Whereas, as we'll get into here in a second, liqueurs have a little bit more available to them for flavoring. Now, a lot of liqueurs, or, or rather liqueurs in general, are going to actually have liquor as their base. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing with a liqueur is we have that liquor base that is distilled, that is strong, and then we sweeten it and we flavor it. We're going to do those with various things, oils, extracts, simple plant matter, uh, herbs, fruits, herbs, all sorts of stuff can be done. And that's going to be basically your main difference. They are also generally lower in ABV. Yeah. And what, what were the uh, the ABVs for that? Typically for liqueurs, you're looking at 15 to 30%. So as you mentioned, liqueurs tend to be 
starting around 37, most of them have a minimum of 40 legally, like whiskey, for example. Um, but liqueurs, yeah, you're looking at 15 to 30% ABV normally, but there are some that can get much higher. Like Jägermeister is around 55%, right, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So there are some exceptions to this rule, but in general, a lower ABV than liquor. What other sorts of names might liquors fall under? So here in the United States, you might also see the term cordial or schnapps to describe a liquor or liqueur, excuse me. This is not to be confused with cordials in the UK, which are typically juice concentrates that are mixed with soda or water to Mm -hmm. make a beverage. That is an entirely different thing. But just know that if you're shopping in the U.S. or Canada or shopping from the U.S. or Canada, a cordial or a schnapp is also going to be a form of liqueur. Uh, What was the uh, origination of the creation of liqueurs? So much like gin, if you have listened to our gin episode. Which was an amazing episode, by the way. I agree. The origination of liqueurs in particular was basically uh, medicinal drinks. So during the Middle Ages in particular, a lot of monasteries would craft these liqueurs as some kind of tonic or health potion. Um, And it's not that there's no legitimacy to this. We do know that, for example, alcohol is a solvent, and they also noticed this back then. And it's quite a strong solvent, so it leaches out a lot of the nutrients, color, all sorts of stuff from these botanicals. And as we know, herbs have been used in medicine basically since humans have been humans. So that was the original idea of what a liqueur was. It was not a recreational drink, although very quickly it became a recreational activity. But in general, this was much more of a medicinally focused form of spirit. Interesting. But nowadays, it's mostly used as either an ingredient in other drinks or as a digestive. Yes. Now, what are some of the ways that they get the flavor of these different things inside of the liquors? What is the flavoring process itself? So we have four main methods of how these liqueurs are getting... (laughs) I said liqueur is really weird. I've been saying liqueurs (laughs) the entire time. Liqueurs. 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 I should caveat, we do apologize. We're trying our best to separate the words liqueur with liquor. Yeah. Because we're over enunciating a little bit. Just to kind of keep track and maybe help you guys. But if you do need to laugh hysterically at this, make sure to pause the podcast. (laughs) Go ahead and give us a follow over at Laidback Lush. On Instagram and Twitter. And once you've come back to your senses, you know, you can press play again. That's one way to get followers. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get creative with these. Ingratiate yourself. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So we have four main methods of flavoring for liqueurs. First one is going to be maceration. Again, if you've listened to our previous spirit episodes, you kind of know what maceration is. But just to rehash it. A maceration is where you allow whatever the flavoring ingredients are to sit in the base spirit. Something we forgot to mention when defining liqueurs is often the spirit base is a what's called rectified spirit, which is also basically just another term for a neutral spirit. So think vodka, um, tequila to a degree, 
there's um, a lot of neutral spirits out there. Uh, soju is another example. So think just pure ethanol almost, and yeah. you're adding flavor to that. Maceration is where you allow whatever your flavoring ingredients are to sit and kind of stew in this for a while. Then we have infusion, which is very similar to maceration. It's actually pretty much the same thing. However, an infusion uses heat as a catalyst to expedite the extraction of flavor compounds. Oh, like tea. Yes, exactly. Which tea is an infusion, right? You infuse mm -hmm. the tea leaves into the water. Then we go into filtration. Now, if you know what a pour over is in coffee, this is basically that. This is used a lot more for the oil-heavy compounds or mm. ingredients, nuts in particular. Nut oils are what offer a lot of the nut flavor to liqueurs. So what you do is you have some big filtration apparatus over wherever the vessel is that's going to end up being the holding vessel for the spirit, and you pour your neutral spirit over that. And as it filters through, it extracts whatever flavor compounds are going to come with it. And then it goes to that filter and boom, you have your flavored spirit. It makes sense that with those more oil heavy ingredients mm -hmm. that they would want for there to be less contact. Yeah, because there's I'm, a lot of bitterness, particularly yeah. in nut skins that can seep in if you're not careful. So our final method, and this is, again, how gin is made primarily, is going to be distillation. Distillation is where you distill the mash or whatever has been macerating into the spirit. So this is going to give a lot more of a consistent end product for one thing. Well, any large producer is going to have a large amount of control just because we can do that mechanically now with our current uh, industrial development but distillation traditionally also gave you a little bit more control over how much flavor was going to end up in the final liqueur so those are our flavoring processes so describe to me the difference between generic versus like proprietary so we have for generic liqueurs that is a category that is essentially a family of liqueurs or a kind of liqueur that is not owned as intellectual property by a brand. I see. So, for example, Amaretto is a kind of liqueur, but there's a brand that might make a specific type of that. So anyone can make Amaretto, mm -hmm. but brands will have their own proprietary recipes. Yes. And then our proprietary liqueurs are essentially what we just said, where a brand has a particular ownership of a certain kind of liqueur. So Jägermeister is actually a really good example of this. That mm -hmm. is made by one company. That is who makes Jägermeister. It is trademarked. You cannot just go out and make Jägermeister and call it that. You also couldn't rip off their blend because that, I'm assuming, if they're smart, is also going to be trademarked. Yeah. So that's the distinction uh, of generic versus proprietary. The list is far too long <laughs> to get into which is what, um, but that's just something useful to know. Now, since we do have so many methods of uh, infusing or merging the flavors of ingredients, which can literally be anything... Are there actually any breakdowns to categories of flavor for liqueurs? Yes and no. 
everybody kind of, at least out of all the articles that I read, everybody does do a breakdown. Everybody's breakdown seems to be different. Mm. So what I have done is I have essentially gone through my own experience in drinking cocktails and whatnot and my familiarity with these and the categories that popped up the most in researching mm. for this episode. So we start with herbal liqueurs. These are going to be kind of the oldest ones because, again, remember herbs and whatnot were commonly used for medicinal practice. So these are going to kind of be your Jägermeister, uh, your Chartreuse is an herbal liqueur. These are going to taste herbal. It's in the name. Some are more like licorice focused. Some are more grassy focused. Um, it, it can vary. Any of these categories, there's a lot of diversity because there's probably thousands. Oh, and of a little bit of crossover. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's part of why it's hard to break these categories down into neat little whatever and why there's not a lot of uniformity. But moving on, we then go to fruity liqueurs. So think Curacao, Triple Sec, which is an orange liqueur. These are going to be your fruit-based ones. Again, all liqueurs, for the most part, are going to be sweet. With that in mind, though, your fruity liqueurs are probably going to be a little bit more perceptibly sweet, just because our brains tend to perceive fruit flavors as sweeter than they might actually be. Mm. That's a thing that you would run into very commonly with people who are new to wine tasting. They'll call a wine sweet when really it's just fruity, even though it's bone dry. So that's just something to keep in mind for balancing your cocktails. Then we do move into a category of liqueurs that some people might debate me on this, and I totally understand why. That's bitters. Bitters are just that they are bitter spirits typically used for i mean old fashions are the kind of premium example right negroni is, negroni, is my yeah. my favorite which is made with campari but basically bitters are used primarily i don't know anyone that is taking shots or drinking bitters neat to michael is giving me a devilish grin and that is so disturbing you're a sociopath <laughs> sir <laughs> Yeah. Um, but bitters are essentially, in, they're more of an ingredient than something that people will be sipping on. Uh, because again, it's in the name, they are very bitter, but they add really good complexity to cocktails. That's yeah. their primary usage. And they can also provide a lot of balance if you are looking to use something a little bit more sweet. Yes. Like in the case of Negroni, you end up using sweet vermouth in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. So balancing that out with the gin and the Campari allows for complexity as well as a little bit of easier drinking with that robustness. Yeah, but because they are flavored, bitters are typically considered liqueurs. Just know that they are not sweet. Yes, that is not a mistake you want yeah. to make. And when, when we say sweet... We're not saying sweet in the same way that like certain bourbons can be considered sweet. We're talking there's literally like a lot of sugar, yeah, there's sugar added content. to these to sweeten them to like dessert level sweet for most liqueurs. That's a good distinction to make because some people will refer to certain liquors as being sweet, but it's a completely different scale. Yeah. So just be aware of that. Then we move on to our I put nutty and coffee together. I think that's fair. So like your Kahluas, your Baileys, although Baileys would also go into our next category, which is going to be cream. Uh, however, we have our nutty aromas um, and flavors. Think Di Sirono, almond liqueur. 
And uh, it's what it sounds like. Nutty, earthy coffee flavors. Uh, people will sometimes add chocolate into this. They'll pour it in their coffee. I have to admit, even though I'm a huge fan of Di Sirono, I do not like it in coffee. It's far too sweet for me yeah, to be in I prefer coffee. actually vodka in coffee. I like Fernet Branca and coffee, but mm. we can get there. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, let's definitely get there. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the nutty slash coffee category. And then the final one that I have is cream. So think your Baileys, uh, really any of your Irish cream kind of liqueurs, anything that's like milk based or egg based or some kind of emulsion blend with a spirit added is going to be a cream liqueur. Think white Russians, black Russians mudslides like that kind of drink is what these would be used for and a lot of people also drink them neat yeah i think that's a really good breakdown so let's talk some notable liqueurs so yes. we've mentioned a couple we mm -hmm. might get a little bit more in depth or yeah. we may skip them entirely but here's some uh here's if i some... took the time to write them down we're going over them michael <laughs> oh my god you did write quite quite the long list actually <laughs> i so and here's the thing this is by no means a comprehensive list this is just kind of like what I would consider, again, to be the more common ones and ones that if you're interested in building out a shelf for cocktail making, these would be the ones Fair. I would recommend the most that you have, either because they're the most popular kinds of liqueurs or because I think they're very solid to have as kind of a all around a lot of cocktails will evolve these good to have on hand yeah or people like this kind of thing i think that's fair yeah all right so first up on your list we have actually the first one on my list as well chartreuse chartreuse yes so this is the oldest liquor as far as i know i did not see in my research any records of anything before chartreuse this was made by the carthusian monks in france they have been making it since 1737 there's a very interesting little backstory about a guy who was on the run and got jailed in Bordeaux, but that's probably a little bit beyond the constraints of our time limit here on this episode. But this is still made in France. Uh, chartreuse can be bright yellow or bright green. When you think of chartreuse, it's, it's the color of chartreuse. And how many different ingredients does it have? It has 130 herbs, plants, and flowers added Oof. into it. So they really were going for every possible benefit they could with this one. They're just like, throw it in there. It's natural. <laughs> well, and again, remember, this was a medicinal drink yeah. at first. So that was the whole point is trying to get as much goodness that they knew at the time was goodness into this alcoholic solution. Next up, we have Amaretto. Uh, yes. Which, as Gabe mentioned, is considered almond liquor, mm -hmm. but or liqueur, but it actually doesn't always have to have almonds in it. In point of fact, it's more often made with apricot pits. Mm -hmm. uh, when those are distilled, they end up producing a kind of bitter almond flavor, which is then sweetened. Yeah. But even the word amaretto actually means a little bitter. This one actually has a legend that does date back to 1525, though. Oh, really? But it's just a legend. We have no way of knowing. There are kind of two families that uh, claim to be the originators of it. I won't get into their stories, but one is of the... Of course, because it's Italy. There because are two, it's... There's two families telling people that they have the original. No, exactly. And the funny thing is, is that it's the Lazzaroni family, and then it is the Reina family. And the Reina family worked for the Lazzarona family. <laughs> oh, Lazzaroni, excuse me. So it's kind of like, 
there there is this definite bit of competition for who is going to get ownership over this but the lazaroni family still has their stuff going strong and their legend is part of their marketing strategy and the reina family is actually what is responsible for di sarona so it that happens to be one of my favorites which is the only reason i take a little bit of extra time on it so then we have bailey's um if you're familiar at all with alcohol you've probably had baileys at one point or another it's very popular and if you're very familiar with it you've had it out of a shoe oh no <laughs> yeah no oh no let the reader understand let the reader understand <laughs> our next post is just gonna have nothing but i'm old greg yeah, in the comments yeah. oh dear god no <laughs> so uh, don't look it up if you haven't seen it it'll make you feel robbed of life <laughs> or it will give you life if it does enrich your life, you are the sociopath. <laughs> Maybe you are old Greg. <laughs> Maybe you are old Greg. But uh, so we have uh, we have Bailey's. Yes. And Bailey's is going to be whiskey with cream and chocolate. And it's also kind of referred to as Irish cream. Yeah. A lot of people will put this into uh, Irish coffees. My personal yeah. preference is for that not to happen. I'm more of a white Russian for Bailey's kind of guy myself. Yeah. If that's going to be what you're doing for Irish coffees, I prefer a little bit of whiskey, a little bit of brown sugar, and then some homemade whipped cream. Yeah, I agree. That is the correct way to do it. But if you like Bailey's with it, sure, fine, I guess. We're not elitists here, but we will tell you the correct way to have your coffee. This is the correct way to have your coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so then we have campari which is an italian herb and fruit bitter so this is not going to be sweet this is usually used in negronis as michael said earlier um it does have some other applications but that's kind of the most famous yeah then we move on to one i mentioned several times now uh jägermeister so this is german herb and spice liqueur it's going to have 56 kinds of herbs and spices in it so not quite on the level of chartreuse, but uh, still very herbal, very licorice-y. A lot of people will have their first bad experience with the alcohol with Jaeger <laughs> because it is very strong and it yeah. does sneak up on you. Yes. Luckily, I have never been one of those people, so I still get to enjoy its black licorice-like flavor. Although I've never actually mixed it in with anything. Are there any cocktails that you know of that actually use jaeger i'm sure there are but most people who drink jaegermeister are probably taking shots of jaegermeister and i sip it that's the thing <laughs> you're a sociopath <laughs> um so uh, jaeger i like jaeger i am one of those people however that does have a bad drinking experience with jaeger we will not talk about it on the podcast Oh, but we'll talk about it. <laughs> no, but no, we won't. <laughs> um, yes, we will. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I do like it for what it is. If I'm going to go for a licorice drink, though, I'm going to drink absinthe. And absinthe is a bit more on the delicate side, and you can pick it apart. It's a bit more fresh herbal, yeah. I would say. Jaeger is very heavy as well. I heavy. Like said, it packs a punch. Syrupy. Yeah. So then we move on to Kahlua. Uh, again, very famous liqueur. So this is just going to be a coffee liqueur. I love Kahlua. It's great in so many different drinks. Just great all-around liqueur to have on hand. Then we have Saint Germain. This one, it doesn't show up quite as often, but I personally find it to be very nice. And I do think it adds a lot of floral lift to a drink without having it be that overly heady, white floral 
kind of thing that certain liqueurs tend to give off. I'm also not the biggest fan of floral aromas in general, uh, particularly for perfumes. No offense to anyone that wears floral perfumes, but they tend to give me a headache. Um, Same. But St. Germain is elderflower liqueur, and it normally comes in a very fancy little bottle. And uh, this stuff is delicious, even just on its own. Add this in with normally some other white liquors and maybe like a sweet and sour mix or even margarita mix sometimes and normally come up with something pretty good. Then we have one of my favorite liqueurs, Fernet Branca. Now, this is a subtype of Amaro, Amaretto, Amaro. They're both Italian. Uh, this is kind of a category of bitter Italian digestifs. So this is a bitter liqueur. It's earthy. It's pungent. It's kind of like you stuck your face in a wood pile and the wood pile's punching you at the same time. That sounds amazing. Um, but I love it personally. This is very famous in Brazil for being mixed with Coke, like Coca-Cola Coke. Interesting. And the drink is very popular there. I have not tried that. However, if you put just like a splash of this in coffee, it's amazing. That's how I like to drink it. It's so good in coffee. We do love our simultaneous uh, stimulants and depressants. <laughs> not that we're promoting the mixing of the two. No, please drink responsibly. Hey, we're not talking about vodka Red Bulls, okay? So I think we get a pass. Which is definitely a thing I've never had, not even once. <laughs> never. I actually never have had a vodka Red Bull. See, I have the bad Jaeger experience. Yeah. You have the vodka Red Bull experience. Oh, I mean, I, I have the experience. It's not a bad one. It's just not a recommended one. <laughs> fair. Yeah. Very fair. Now, funny enough, I actually just asked for a Red Bull and they came back with a vodka Red Bull. That's really funny, actually. Yeah. They made an assumption. <laughs> they made they made of a lot. So, uh, Curacao. This is going to be an orange liqueur, often colored blue, but not always. Then kind of, I put this as a subtype. It is its own thing. It's a brand, but triple sec. This is going to be actually a little bit drier than Curacao, and it is not colored. But, you know, they're both orange liqueurs, and they're both often used interchangeably in cocktails. Obviously, if you want that blue color, you're going to go with Curacao. But in general, they can be used one for one for the other. Then we have uh, Midori. Midori, I put on this list because it shows up a lot, but a lot of people, I will say, don't like Midori very much. This is melon liqueur. This is a very similar color to chartreuse, actually. It's like fluorescent green. Mm -hmm. um, it looks like it's uh, been crafted with uranium. Yeah, yeah. It looks like uh, something you would see in like a sci-fi show as, as a drink. Um, I was thinking Romulan ale, but that was blue. But uh, closer to Curacao. True, yeah. Made with space oranges. Space oranges. <laughs> Spice Australia. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so Midori is just that. It's melon liqueur. It is used, again, in a lot of cocktails. It adds a nice color. If you can handle that really sweet melon flavor, it is nice to have in a cocktail. We actually uh, were at a place... I had a uh, bespoke drink made for me uh, that the challenge was I had to pull it apart. And I got almost everything that was in it, except for the Midori. For some reason, the Midori slipped mm. my mind. But it was a really good drink. And the bartender really knew what he was doing. Was this at the, uh, the Shave Duck? This was at Shave Duck, yeah. I thought it might yep. be. He's yeah. the only person who would play games like that. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I told the bartender, I was like, yeah, I really like cocktails and I like dissecting them. He was like, 
I bet I can make you something you can't. And I was like, you want to bet? Yeah. No, that's great. <laughs> um, it was, no, he was fantastic. He was a great bartender and I had a lot of fun talking to him and that it night. It was so upsetting that he ended up moving on from that position. Mm-hmm. But thank goodness it was actually to a, uh, a better position. So. Yes. Shout out to him. But moving on for us, uh, I, <laughs> I put Fireball on the list. Okay. I know it's trashy. Don't I know. look at me like I'm going to judge you. I <laughs> I, I love Fireball. <laughs> I know people might judge me for this. No, this but... is what's going to make the podcast fail. Like people are going to be enjoying it, and then they're going to be like, <laughs> they both like Fireball. Cancel. Yeah, <laughs> I stopped drinking Fireball before I turned 21. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so that being said, Fireball is cinnamon whiskey. It is a liqueur. It is not liquor. It is good, homegrown, old-fashioned fun, in my opinion. It's great in a lot of stuff. It's good by itself. It's not the best thing in the world. It's not going for the best thing in the world. I love Fireball. I say if you want to have like a drink, like liquor, spirits collection, don't get the one in the plastic bottle because, you know, plastic leeches. But, you know, find the ones in the glass bottle and, you know, just keep it on hand, you know. And if you, and if you uh, have never tried it and you like the gum big red, oh, this yeah. is your drink. Yeah. And again, it's very versatile. It can be used in a lot of different drinks to just kind of give that cinnamon warmth to it. There are higher quality cinnamon whiskeys out there. I will say that. But Fireball is kind of the ubiquitous one. And uh, to finish out for my list, I did put Absinthe because... You save the best for last for yourself? Of course. But of course. I have to end on a high note. Um, But absinthe is also kind of debated as to whether it is a liqueur. Because it doesn't really qualify as a bitter, but it's also not sweet, people kind of will more often just put it under spirits as a header rather than liqueurs. Technically speaking, I guess, yeah, it is a liqueur because it is you know, uh, flavored with things. It's not from just the distillation process. It is a, a flavoring process that happens for absinthe, but it's the lack of sweetness again. Absinthe has a little bit of sweetness, but it is primarily a highly, highly aromatic herbal liquor uh, or spirit, I should say. Two little side notes about absinthe because I am very passionate about this. Absinthe does not make you hallucinate. That is a myth. The thought is that it came from really low-quality bad liqueurs that were being made in Europe when the demonization started. It also came from winemakers in France that were intimidated by their branding production being infringed upon when absinthe started to become very popular, so that also helped. But there was also a lot of absinthe being made with less-than-great ingredients that were probably actually making people sick and potentially hallucinate. So that yeah. that's where that comes from. Also, this is not a universal rule. However, absinthe's natural color is not that fluorescent green that you're probably thinking of. Normally, it's more of um, almost like a white wine, like a more densely colored white wine. It can be tinged green, but typically it's almost like a straw color, more or less. It's a spectrum, as with a lot of these. But that fluorescent green absinthe that you tend to see actually normally means that it's cheaper and lower quality absinthe Mm. that's my spiel i will shut up now the only two other ones that i have is chambord chambord is a dessert type liqueur that is really great on ice cream and then there's also benedictine 
Benedictine is actually the earliest example I have on my list. Okay. Uh, it was made in the 16th century, so that would have been the early 1500s. And it can almost kind of be seen as a precursor to chartreuse. Okay. It was made by French monks, only they only employed uh, 27 herbs. Get on it, French monks. And then they sweetened it with honey. Okay, well, they get a pass for the honey. Yeah, so, you know, local ingredients. Local ingredients. <laughs> and that It helps your allergies. <laughs> um, and so that pretty much does it for our liqueurs versus liquor. So remember, liquor is a distilled alcoholic beverage, whereas liqueur, you typically will use that in some form or fashion, but infuse it and sweeten it in order to give it a unique profile with a very highly diverse range of styles and flavors. I'm very proud of us for not making a very specific joke this entire time. Can I know what that joke is? But I hardly know her. But I hardly know her. Think think of the episode. <sighs> <laughs> You're welcome. I just got so tired. <laughs> <laughs> Michael said, it's time for me to leave. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for just, joining us. <laughs> we're just we're just gonna not acknowledge that Gabe said that. No, we're not. I'm not I'm not acknowledging it. Let the reader That's understand. Fair. That's honestly so fair. Yeah, yeah. It's it's for a different podcast. Yeah. That we may or may not make. But anyways, thank you guys so much for joining us. Yeah. Uh, please do give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter. Stay updated with us as we continue to explore the world of wine, beer, and spirits with you, hopefully along our side. We look forward to seeing you next time. Do we have any idea of what we're recording next time? You know, we did three episodes. In one day. In one day. Granted, it was not intentional. It was supposed to be two. But then one episode ended up being almost two Super hours. Super long. So. <laughs> I kind of want to do, I want to go back to fortified wines. Do you want so to do fortified I, wines? And I would love to do an overview of Burgundy. Okay. Oh, Burgundy would be a lot of fun. Yeah, maybe we could do Burgundy or Port or Madeira or um, Marsala or something. But I think fortified wines would be good for the next Yeah. One, so. Uh, but Burgundy will definitely be following soon. Burgundy has a fascinating history, and I would I love agree. to talk about it. So, yeah, thank you guys so much again. In our next episode, we are likely going to be talking about some fortified wines. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you've ever been curious what that means or how it affects wine or what wine products are created through that process, uh, we would love for you to join us. Uh, and as always, thank you. Indeed. Cheers. Cheers.